Well, as we return to the word of our perfect father this morning, we return to that part of Luke's gospel that he stops and spends 41% of the whole book talking to us about what it looks like or what it means to follow Jesus. And so as we return to that part of his gospel, again, we come to the same big idea that we've been developing now for the past couple of weeks, which is that following Jesus means learning how to live this day, the one that we're living right now, in light of the great and final day to come, which is the day of his return. And so in other words, we've been talking about the fact that this God, who in the person of Jesus Christ and in fulfillment of many promises has already come into the world once has promised to return. And just like he fulfilled the earlier promises, he'll fulfill this one. This is a God who keeps his word. So he's coming back, and what we've been talking about is this idea that, all right, well, in between this day and that one, we need to learn how to live this day in light of that one. And in fact, as we're going to see today, we need to learn how to live this day as if it is that one, because here's what Jesus is going to say to us today. He's going to come and say, hey, let me develop this a little further for you. Two points. Number one, I actually am coming again. Don't roll your eyes at that idea. Don't laugh at that idea. Don't mock that idea. Don't look at it and go, well, good grief, you know. When are you going to do that? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. And it has, hasn't it? What does Peter say in 2 Peter 3? He comes to us and says, let me tell you something about the last days. In the last days scoffers will come scoffing at this idea that the Lord is going to return. They're going to say, what do you mean he's going to return? I mean, everything has continued just as it's been since the fathers who told us originally that he was going to return have fallen asleep. What does Peter say? Among other things, he says, you know, please do not forget that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. You know, to us, it's been 2,000 years. To him, it's been like a weekend. He doesn't measure time the way that we do. He's not so limited as we. And his delay is out of his mercy. He's gathering his people one by one by one by one. Consider the price of just one. It's infinite. And when he's gathered the last, then he will come. So Jesus is going to come to us today and say, all right, first of all, I actually am coming. It's not a joke. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fiction. It is real. And secondly, he's going to say, and since you have absolutely no idea when it is that I'm going to come, here's how you're to live every moment of this day, like it might be the moment that I return. So we pick up our study today in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, where Jesus gives us a series of stories that make these two points and that also illustrate for us... All right, what that requires, what that looks like when it shows up in our lives. So casting us into the role of his servants, Jesus, the master in these stories, says this to us, and it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Right out of the gate, he comes and he says, stay dressed for action, command number one and command number two now, and keep your lamps burning and be like what? Be like men who are doing what? Who are doing for their master the exact same thing that you and I right now are doing for Jesus. They're waiting for their master to come home, and in their case, from a wedding feast. But here's why the wedding feast works. The reason it works is because back in those days, if you were the servant of a master and your master went to a wedding feast, here's the deal. You knew that he was going to come home. You had no idea when. You just, you didn't. I mean, maybe or you could approximate, but really, you, you didn't know. It could be a week long. It could be less than a week long. It could be more than a week long. It could be two weeks long. It could be two and a half weeks long. And the wedding banquet itself, it could end in the afternoon, the early evening, the late evening, the early morning. 
You know he's coming. You don't know when. And so drawing on that analogy, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home, though they have no idea when he's going to come home from the wedding feast and who, and who do all of this. And here's why. So that they're ready for him when he shows up. They're waiting for him and for his arrival that surely will come. They do all this so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Guys, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, first of all, don't miss this. I'm actually going to come back. I'm the master who's left. I'm returning, but you you don't know when. And since you don't know when, point number two, man, live every moment of every one of these days in this life as though it very well may be the moment and day that I actually return. And here's what that requires of you, command number one. It requires you to stay dressed for action. Okay, that's not at all what it actually says. When you read this in the original language, it says, gird up your loins. That's it. But here's what happens. The translators get to gird up your loins, and they look at a 21st century audience, and they go, yeah, nobody's going to understand that. And so they went with stay dressed for action, but gird up your loins actually matters. It really does. There's an element of stay dressed for action that it, that just doesn't cover in terms of gird up your loins. So here's the deal. In those days, people dressed differently than we do. You know that. They dressed in long, flowing robes. They didn't wear pants. They didn't wear shorts like we do today. And girding up your loins meant taking your long, flowing robes, gathering them up, pulling them up between your legs, so now you look like you're wearing a great big diaper, and stuffing it down into your belt. And here's the only reason you would do that. You would do that so that you could run without tripping over your robes. Get the idea? But you had to really want to run in that culture before you would do this, and here's why. It was shameful. It was completely undignified for a man in particular to bare his legs in that culture, and it was shameful and undignified for a man to run. Those are like two things you would not do. So whatever it is that caused you to gird up your loins and bare your legs so that you could free your feet and not trip over your robes and run wherever it is that you're going to have to run had to be a really big deal. Jesus is saying, look, this is a really big deal. That's what I want you to do. And you're like, all right, well, some problems here. A, I don't wear robes. B, I do wear shorts. And C, I'm a runner. So what does that mean for me exactly? What does it look like for us to gird up our loins? It looks like you and I examining our lives, item by item, area by area, relationship by relationship, and reorganizing and reposturing, if necessary, our lives so as to enable us to most swiftly, most effectively, most efficiently serve the Lord Jesus Christ in every moment of this day, as if this is the moment, perhaps, that he will return. And it means doing that even if it makes you look foolish, even if it demeans you in the eyes of other people, even if other folks look at the way you live as a result of that. And I mean, it's, you know, it's the equivalent of wearing a big diaper. It's just ridiculous. They don't understand. They don't get it. So then living this day as though it may be the last day, first of all, requires us to gird up our loins. But secondly, it requires us to keep our lamps burning. 
For again, Jesus says, stay dressed for action or gird up your loins. And then he says, keep your lamps burning, which if you think about it, is a command that really only makes sense at night. I mean, this is a first century audience that he's talking about. This is a culture and a society that has no electricity. They don't have lamps the way that we have lamps. They have lamps that burn oil. Oil is precious. Oil is valuable. You know when they burn their lamps? At night. That's it. And then what happened? Well, at some point in the night, they would turn it off. And then what would they do? There's nothing else to do. Can't play video games on your phone. They would go to sleep. And when they went to sleep, then what would happen? Just follow the sequence of events. They would dream. And what is... What is a dream? A dream is a false reality that, to the dreamer at least, in the moment, feels incredibly real, doesn't it? Remember one night, I'll never forget this, I was dead asleep, and I'm like a really light sleeper, which is a bummer for me. But I'm dead asleep in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden I can feel our bed moving, and I can hear Beth, and she's talking to somebody. And so, like, I roll over and I look at her, and she's sitting up in the middle of our bed, eyes wide open, talking to some invisible person, and she's doing like this with her hands, you know? And I just kind of sat there marveling, just sort of watching, like, what is in the world, you know? And so, finally, I said, what are you doing? And then she said to me in a tone of voice that made it clear, like, it ought to be obvious that I should know what she's doing, she said, I'm cleaning, like she's at the sink, which says something maybe on this Mother's Day, you know, like a lot of ladies are going, yeah. You know, Tom, you dream that you're late for church and that stresses you out or you show up in your underwear or somebody steals your notes and she cleans dishes, sitting up with her eyes open. And so I said, well, um, actually, uh, you're sitting up in our bed and it's the middle of the night and, um, and you're talking to somebody, you know, who isn't here and the dishes you're just kind of moving your arms like this. And so she stops and she looks at me and then she looks around and she goes, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. You're right. You're right. And she just laid down and then boom, right back to sleep. Meanwhile, I got up. I had to go to the bathroom at that point. You know, I'm like, (laughs) because I'm that guy and uh, it's terrible. When you turn the lights off at night, it goes dark. When it goes dark, you go to sleep. When you go to sleep, you dream. When you fall into a dream, you think it's real, and it's not. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't shut the lights off at all. Don't close your eyes. Don't go to sleep on me. Don't go to sleep on my mission. Don't go to sleep on my kingdom. Don't do it. Don't close your eyes to the reality that I've come once in fulfillment of many promises and I will come again in fulfillment of many promises. And hey, guess what? You don't know when I'm going to come. And it may seem like it's been a long time to you. To me, it's been a weekend. Like I'm just getting ready to have my Monday morning cup of coffee here. Don't fall into the false realities of career and of money and of pleasure and of all of these things that seem so real. but that are phantoms. And don't let the lies of this world, which say that I'm never returning, lull you to sleep either. But instead, he's saying, look, out of a deep love for me, your good Father, your great and merciful Master, and out of a deep faith in my word, which I keep, 
Well, then stay dressed for action. Gird up your loins and keep your lamps burning. Stay awake and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks because he's coming and he will knock. And don't miss this. I love it. He says, for blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he says, he, meaning the master himself, will do what? Because it's stunning. He will dress himself for service. He will gird up his loins, the master. And then he'll have them, his faithful servants, who have lived this day as though it may in fact be that last one, who were ready when he returned, who opened the door when he knocked, who had everything in place. He will have them recline at his table, his own table, and he himself will come and serve them. My goodness, if he comes in the second watch, which is pretty late at night, or in the third watch, which is even later at night, and yet finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And then he changes the image a little bit to speak to the unpredictability of his coming. He says, but know this, that if the master... Of the household had known at what hour the thief was going to come, he would not have let his house to be broken into, but instead he would have been awake. He would have had the oil lamps burning. He would have been ready. Would he not? The thief comes when you don't know, when you don't expect. That's the idea. He says, So also, you must be ready. Why? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Then what happens next is that Peter, who's in this crowd, and the crowd, if you'll recall from the previous weeks, is huge. It's like tens of thousands of people are gathered together to hear this teaching. Only some of them are actually disciples of Jesus. Peter is trying to figure out who this story is for. So he interrupts the Lord and he says, Lord, are are you telling this parable for us, meaning just for your disciples? Or or are you actually telling this parable for all, for everyone here? And so then Jesus again changes the image just a bit and he tells another story to make it clear that it's a message for absolutely everyone. Luke tells us that the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? And in this story, that's who you want to be. The faithful and wise manager the servant of the master who is Christ, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time while he goes away. Get the idea? The master is Jesus. You want to be the faithful and wise servant. He's saying, who is that? He'll describe it in a second. And he sets this servant over his household to manage his household for him while he goes away on a journey. And when is he coming back? Well, we don't know. We just know that he has said that he will. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. That is to say, blessed is that servant whom his master will find faithfully serving his master by managing his household in a manner consistent with his master's purposes and plans when he returns, when he comes home from his time away. In fact, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this master will set that kind of a servant over all of his possessions, not just his household now, but everything, which is massive. It's a huge honor. But now he'll describe some other servants, some other options. He says, but if instead that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. Translation, you know what? It's been 2,000 years. This is absolutely ridiculous. He's clearly never coming. He's changed his plans. Maybe he's dead. Who knows? 
If he's ever really going to show up, I don't think he is. But if instead that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to treat the male and the female servants like they're his servants. He begins to do what only the master has the right to do. Get the idea? So he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. That is to say, he takes all of the gifts and all of the resources and all of the titles and positions and power and all of the stuff that is derivative. It's derived. It's given to him by the master. And he begins to live as though there is no master. There's no day of reward. There's no day of punishment. There's no day of reckoning. The master's never coming back. And it all belongs to me. And he begins, this in this case, a very, in a very tyrannical way, to behave as though he's the master. That's the idea. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. He will come. Get the idea? And on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and this sounds rather unfriendly, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Why will he put him with the unfaithful? Because he is, in fact, unfaithful. He has proven it by the way that he has lived. And so also, now here's another servant, that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act in accordance with his will. He might not have beaten the servants or whatever, but he's been completely negligent of the fact that there is a Lord and that the Lord is going to return and that he has a duty to follow his master's will in between then and now. So also that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act in accordance with his will, will receive a severe beating. But the servant now, here's servant number four, who did not know his master's will and yet did what deserved a beating, but who did it in ignorance. You can see the meeting out here of justice and equity. We'll receive a light beating, but then Jesus closes with this. He says, everyone to whom much was given when? In this day, in this life. Of him, the Lord says, much will be required when? When the master returns, when the accounting is made. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And I thought about that, and I thought, my goodness, you know what? We have, in fact, all of us been given much. And I'm not talking about, you know, talents and abilities and treasures and all of that stuff at this point. I'm just sort of dropping to the bottom line and saying, man, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. By which, and this should like elicit song, <laughs> All of the ways that we have betrayed our master have been covered by the blood of his own son. It's astonishing. All of our faithlessness, all of our sin, all of our selfishness, all of our guilt, all of our shame, absolutely all of it gone through faith in this Jesus, which ought incidentally to inspire a great desire to serve him, to stay awake to gird up your loins and care less about what other people think. But we've been given much. Jesus is ours. Heaven is ours. That great and final day, that belongs to us in a wonderful and amazing way. But more than that, we've been given the Spirit of God who has taken up residence in our heart, who has made us alive, who illuminates God's Word, who speaks to us who communicates with us, who comforts us and leads us and guides us and empowers us 
to act out that life of gratitude and obedience to the Lord. We've been given his word, the very mind of Christ, light in darkness, wisdom in foolishness, life in the midst of death that we might know how to serve him most effectively. We've been given each other a very tangible source of encouragement and of prayer and of comfort and of strength and of joy and of all these things we've been given and surrounded and placed into the midst of a community of people. And together we get to learn how to live every moment of this day as though it may be the moment of his return. And more than that, we've been given a record of God's past faithfulness. And we find that in the scriptures as we read about all of these people and how the Lord came through for them. But but we find that in the book and the stories of one another as well, do we not? And we see it even in our own lives. I mean, the reality is, yes, we look at us and ourselves and we think to ourselves, well, I'm not where I should be. And hey, look, that's part of the reason why we're here. It's why we open God's word. It's why we're learning that we might grow and become more like Jesus, more effective servants of him in every moment of this day as though it may be the last. But the reality is we're not where we once were either. And that's pretty awesome. That's comforting. And that's the result of his supernatural work in our lives. When you look into your own heart, you know that must necessarily be true. So God has done a work. And he wants to continue that work today by calling us to learn how to live this day in light of that one. And in fact, to learn how to live it as though it is that one. As though this might be the one. Because... We don't know when he's coming back, so it actually might, but that requires us to gird up our loins, to examine our lives, to reposition ourselves that we might most swiftly and effectively and efficiently in every moment of this day serve him as though it's maybe the last, and it requires us to stay awake, to keep the lights burning in the midst of a world that is constantly and continuously lulling us to sleep. So I want to ask you some questions. First about girding up your loins, okay? Have you done that? Will you do that? Have you examined your life item by item, area by area, relationship by relationship, and simply asked some questions like, you know, hey, is this actually helping or hurting my ability to as swiftly as I can, as effectively as I can, as efficiently as I can, serve the Lord Jesus as his servant, for he's my master. And in light of the fact that, you know what, any minute... He could show up. Helping or hurting? Is it girding up my loins, whatever this is, or is it a robe that, in fact, I'm I'm tripping over all the time in my attempts to follow Jesus? It's, It's holding me back. Do that. You know, I mean, if you're here today, you're considering a career move, and I'm not thinking of anybody, so please don't think that I'm thinking of you. I'm really not. But if that's the case, it may be a great move. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But have you laid it before the Lord? Because it is between you and the Lord and said, all right, is this going to help or hurt? Is this going to help me or is this going to be something I trip over in serving Jesus like this is the day? If you're in a relationship, have you done that? Is it helping? Is it hurting? Are you a better servant of Christ for this relationship? Or are you tripping over things? Look at your travel schedule for a minute and whatever it is that drives it. Ask the question. 
Look at your kid's schedule for a minute and ask that question on their behalf. Is this shaping them? Is this forming them? Is this creating them to be better and more vigilant servants of Jesus who are looking to serve Him most effectively, most efficiently, most swiftly right now? Or is this something that they're going to trip over? You get the point. Have you girded up your loins? And then secondly... Have you kept your lamps burning? Like, are you awake or are you asleep spiritually? Because here's the deal. You might think you're standing at the sink washing dishes, you know, and maybe you're just sitting up in bed. So it's like, you know, I mean, how do you even know? What does Jesus give us? He uses the image of light. Keep your light on. That's an awakeness. That's the idea. And what is the light that we have? It's the light of God's Word. So I sent out an email to like six or seven people this week, and I said, you know, I'm looking for biblical statements because that's the light that deal with this idea of spiritual, I'm awake or I'm asleep. And I said, so just complete the sentence. Uh, I'm spiritually, you're spiritually asleep if fill in the blank. And I got like the greatest list. I'm just going to read a few of them to you, like 15. So that's more than a few. Because I couldn't leave, you know, some of them, I'm like, I got to have that. No, I have to have that one. So I just threw them all, well, not all, but most in. And I don't say this to make you feel bad. I say this to take the light of God's word and to shine it on you and maybe to wake you up. It's very helpful for me. So you're spiritually asleep, number one, if God is more useful to you than he is beautiful to you. And I think that'll show up in your prayer life. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, intervene. Oh, Lord, do this. Oh, Lord, do that. Oh, Lord, you know, it's a, it's a God, it's a relationship of utility. Where's the praise? Where's the focus on Him and, and just talking about how beautiful that He is? There's a bit of a sleepiness in that. You're spiritually asleep if, number two, what your boss says to you is more important than what your God says to you. And occasionally those two voices differ. You're spiritually asleep, number three, if you're never angered by injustice or moved by suffering or stirred by the kinds of things that stir the heart of God, if you're indifferent to the plight of your fellow human beings, then we need to wake up. Number four, you're spiritually asleep if you care more about what your friends think of you than what your God thinks of you. Five, you're spiritually asleep if your sin doesn't bother you or if you've taken your sin and redefined it to be something other than sin. Six, you're spiritually asleep if you have more enthusiasm for your sports teams than you do for worship. Seven, you're spiritually asleep if you have no hunger for God's word or thirst for his presence in prayer. Eight, you're spiritually asleep if you're more concerned with being right or being heard or making your point than you are with loving the person that you're conversing with in that moment. Nine, you're spiritually asleep if it never occurs to you that the people around you need Jesus. And if you never think about the reality of that great and final day, both for you and for them. Ten, you're spiritually asleep if entertainment is more important to you than personal worship. Eleven, you're spiritually asleep if, if you're lying or cheating to gain anything in this world. 
because we're not living for this world or for any of the rewards of it. We're living to serve our master. Twelve, you're spiritually asleep if the greatest object of your affection is you, and if you don't hold all that you are and all that you have with an open hand before the Lord and his plans and his purposes, because it's all been given to you. And ultimately, it's all his. Thirteen, you're spiritually asleep if you're listening to voices, including your own voice, that are telling you what you want to hear, but ignoring the Holy Spirit and Scripture and even other believers that God has placed into your life for the purpose of telling you what you need to hear 14, you're spiritually asleep if you're rarely, if ever, thankful to God for His many blessings in your life. And 15, and finally, <laughs> you're spiritually asleep if you believe that your sufferings were not designed for you by God and for the very purpose of waking you up. And you hear that list, and you know, I mean, you can imagine a million more of these things, really, literally. And you realize, you know, we all kind of need to wake up, don't we? We need to wake up. Guys, following Jesus means learning how to live this day in light of the great and final day. And in fact, it's, it's even more intense. It, it means learning how to live every moment of this day as though it actually could be the moment of the return of Christ. And here's why it's important that we do this. Let this capture you. Here's your Savior. Because as Jesus says to every one of us who have faith in him, are you ready? Blessed are those servants whom I, the master, find awake when I come. Truly, I say to you, I will then dress myself for service and have you, my faithful servants, recline at my table. And I, your master, will then come and serve you. That's the day we're living for. Therein lies our vindication and our reward. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the privilege by faith in Christ of being called your servants, of being called your sons and your daughters, of being called the subjects of your kingdom. What a privilege it is to hand over the reins to our lives, to one with a far greater wisdom, a far broader vision, a far better mind, heart, and soul than we. Lord, the highest privilege and the most liberating thing that we can do is to give ourselves to you, to be washed by the blood of your Son, and to learn to serve you as our master and as our Lord. Lord, make us vigilant. Awaken us from our sleep and to the reality that, you know what? You are coming again and that the most important day that we will ever live is the last day. May we live it in such a way as to be described as this blessed servant. Do this, we pray, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.